We're back, baby. Welcome to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. This is the first episode of the 2019 season, but where I am, it's still 2018. First and foremost, Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you have a good one. I hope you have a safe one. Um, And I hope that you can look back on where you are now and think about where you were one year ago. And I hope you're, you're proud of what you've accomplished in the last year. I know for me, I know for this channel, Monday Match Analysis did not exist a year ago. This YouTube channel did, and it had somewhere between 600 and 700 subscribers. So uh, we have come a long way, folks, and that is something to be proud of. This episode is the 2019 ATP season preview. Uh, I'm going to go through everyone in the top 20, and I'll tell you if I feel like they're on the rise, if they're on the fall, if they're going to stagnate. What can you expect in general terms um, for in 2019 for these players? I'm just going to say, are they going to rise in the rankings? Are they going to drop in the rankings? Or are they going to remain more or less the same? At the end, I'll show you how I envision, and it takes a lot of imagination, but how I envision the top 10 looking like at the end of the season, which is something that's really, really hard to not make yourself look foolish looking back at. Uh, but we'll do our best. And then... I asked you guys on Twitter. I put up a YouTube post. I asked, what do you guys want me to discuss? What do you What do you guys want me to talk about for this season preview? Um, and I got some questions. I got some comments. I'm going to answer them uh, at, towards, the, towards the end of the video. So without further ado, let's get to this top 20. And uh, we start with the number one player in the world. He will be defending titles at Wimbledon and at the U.S. Open uh, this season. That is Novak Djokovic, and we all know the story, but we'll tell it real quick. Uh, Once again, he suffered through really the worst year and a half of his career, um, and that bled into the beginning of 2018, but from Wimbledon all the way to the U.S. Open, Novak Djokovic was flat-out invincible. He couldn't be beaten, and then your minds start to churn. Are we just going back... Uh, are we going back to 2014, 2015, where tournament in and tournament out, Novak Djokovic is the man to beat? And then he showed a bit of a little bit of vulnerability. Novak Djokovic showed that it is possible for him to lose a tennis match. He nearly lost to Federer in Paris, then he lost to Hachinov, then he lost to Zverev in the World Tour Finals. So the question is, how much weight can you really put into that fall season? And if you know me, you know that I'm going to say not a lot. It's played on a surface where there is no major. Needless to say, it doesn't build up to a major. The offseason is near. And I also believe Djokovic was dealing with, uh, with some illness over that stretch. So I don't think that that's very indicative of, of how the season is going to play out. I think before then, that stretch more so from, from Wimbledon the U.S. Open is a lot more indicative about how this season is going to play out, which is why I say Novak Djokovic stays at number one in the world. Now here comes some hard truths. We go to number two, Rafa Nadal, and I'm going to say he drops, and this is, this is not easy, and I'll, I'll also premise this with saying he's number two, so it's pretty hard to stay or rise when you're number two. Nadal was impeccable when he was healthy last year. He played in 13 tournaments. If my memory doesn't deceive me, he only finished eight of them. And pretty much when he was healthy, he didn't lose. He was unbelievable. 
he's doing a lot of things really well to kind of counteract his aging. He's playing more aggressive. He's hitting his forehand bigger. He's playing closer to the baseline. He's mixing it up more. He's going to the net more. All these things are great. All these things are going to make it so that Rafa Nadal ages more gracefully. But at 32 years of age, he continues season in and season out to have health problems. And I don't see that discontinuing. And I also don't think it's a, uh, it's a coincidence. And if you look at how Rafa Nadal trains, if you look at how Rafa Nadal plays, it's understandable that Nadal will not be like Roger Federer. In my, I don't think. I don't think Nadal will, will be able to really maintain um, a, a high level at the age of 37 because his style of play and how hard he practices, how hard he's practiced his whole life, and how many, how many long, hard years he's spent on the tour. And I know that's true for, for Djokovic and Federer as well. So that, that argument doesn't really apply. But the point being, I don't think that Nadal's health issues will magically disappear and that he's going to really have... Uh, I think if he has a healthy season, that to me would be more surprising than Nadal missing a lot of time with injury. And to me, it's just not sustainable that you can only play 13 tournaments and you can maintain your ranking of number two in the world. Especially with with Djokovic, if, if Djokovic is going to challenge him um, for some of these clay court titles. And Dominic Team's only getting better as well. Although Nadal still pretty much owns him. So that's why I say Nadal drops. Not a lot, as you'll see later, but I say he drops. And then number three, Roger Federer. I'm not doing myself any favors for the popularity of this video, of this preview, of this podcast, of this show, whatever the heck this is. Um, but I also think that Roger Federer drops. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a matter of, of what we've seen kind of... This is almost a matter of just math and probability. Federer had a good year last year, I'd say, just because he did win a major. And any, any year that Federer wins a major, I think that's a good year for him. He won the Australian Open last year. He'll defend that title in two weeks' time. Uh, but throughout the Grand Slam season, Federer's level declined. He complained of a hand injury. He lost most of his game. He lost his serve. He lost his forehand. He wasn't moving great. He still remained one of the best players in the world, but a disappointing loss at Wimbledon to Kevin Anderson, a disappointing loss uh, at the U.S. Open to John Millman. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great look. It wasn't promising uh, when it comes to his prospects for 2019. So in order for Federer to rise or stay, he needs to get better. And at the age of 37, for me to predict... For me to say he will probably get better at the age of 37 is just a little bit too optimistic. It just normally doesn't work that way. Now, as long as he's making second weekends, he can win another major. As long as he's playing at, at a similar level to, to, to where he's at, he can figure things out and he can win big titles. But to maintain a ranking of number three in the world is not easy. And I think we'll start to see a little bit more parity in tennis, um, with the exception of, of Djokovic at the top. I, I think the, the waters will become a little bit muddier. So I don't think it's going to be just three guys contending anymore. I think that's going to start to end. I think we're going we're gonna to see a, the level a little bit more spread out. 
not the level. That's not how to put it. I think we'll start to see a little bit more guys contending. And I think Federer is going to be in the mix, but I think he drops. All right, now I'm going to start to move a little bit more quickly. Number four, you have Sasha Zverev. Of all these guys, he's the most probable to stay healthy. He'll probably play the most tournaments. So I think he rises. Now, that, that won't be enough in itself, but I believe he's finished year-end number four two years in a row now. Uh, it's time for him to, to make a step up. I believe 2018 was disappointing. Uh, he really showed great things in London with the serve. If he beefs up his serve, if he continues to work on bolstering his forehand and not decelerating uh, on it and just kind of being making that a more consistently confident and aggressive shot, that's going to help out Sasha a lot. I don't think he'll win a slam, but I don't think he needs to win a slam to rise from number four in the world. What I do think he'll do in 2019 is I think he'll start to get close. So Sasha Zverev rises. Next at number five is Juan Martin Del Potro. I like a healthy Del Potro a lot. I'm just not sure we're going to get it. And I know for a fact we're not going to get it in the beginning of the season. And here's the problem with Del Potro. He comes into the season, he will not be ready to compete at the Australian Open. He might play, he might not play, regardless of if he plays or not. He's not going to be ready to contend. Simply hasn't gotten the training in. Then, it won't be long before he needs to defend the maximum number of points at Indian Wells. He's the defending champ there. And then Miami. And if he isn't to peak form, that fast, like a snap of the fingers, which I think it's likely he won't get there, he's going to lose a lot of ranking points right then and there. He also was really good in Miami. I think he made the semis. That's a lot of points to defend coming off of a, a fractured patella. He fractured his kneecap. And then he goes to the clay court season where he's not as strong. Grass, Wimbledon, he's not as strong. And to me, that alone says... He's going to drop. It's just a matter of math. Even if he's he's back by the end of the year, even if he's you know <clears throat> in good form by the time the U.S. Open comes around, it still won't be enough for him to maintain that number five ranking spot. And, and remember, there's not many points for him to gain at the U.S. Open. He made the final there. So Del Potro needs to hope that he times his health well. And once again, this year for Del Potro, it's going to be all about New York. Number six, Kevin Anderson, short and sweet. Uh, I think that last year was probably going to be the best year of his career. One of the best mental games in tennis. Anderson um, has done a really good job maximizing the latter stages of, of his career, but he's 32, and age will probably begin to catch up with him. So just based on, on how old he is and how many young guys are knocking on the door behind him, I'm going to say Kevin Anderson drops. A similar thing for number seven, Marin Cilic. He was 3-9 and nine against the top 10 last year. One of those was the Nadal hip retirement at the Australian Open. He had an inexcusable loss at Wimbledon, where he should have been primed to, to really contend in that tournament, and he didn't. And then the loss to Nishikori in the U.S. Open, that was rather disappointing as well. And my question to you is, at 30 years of age, and with no apparent health problems, how come that wasn't Marin Cilic's best year of his career? I don't... I can't find an excuse for him. He should have had a better year. And to me, what last year showed is that the decline is coming for Marin Cilic and it's coming fast. That's just kind of 
to me last year in a nutshell means that Marin Cilic's prime was a little bit earlier than, than some others. Because to me, he should have had an awesome year, and he didn't. So Marin Cilic, I think he drops. Number eight is Dominic Team. Team's hardcourt game matured last season. He he played the five-setter with Nadal, and then after that five-setter, he continued to play pretty good hardcourt tennis. His serve keeps improving. His confidence keeps bu- building. He has the physicality to win majors or to at least go deep in majors. And to me, there's two majors where he can go really deep or win. At the French Open, a lot of the times, you know, he's shown that making two finals in a row, he's shown that he can come one match away from winning. And if you get in that match, you never know what can happen. A Nadal upset, a Djokovic upset, he's right there on clay. Everybody everybody knows that. Then the U.S. Open, I think that the conditions at the Open suit his game perfectly. Slow, gritty, hardcore, physical tournament. I think Dominic Team can can contend at the U.S. Open as well. And if you're going to contend in two of, the, two of the four majors in the year, and I think Wimbledon and Australian Open, I think those courts are just too fast for him, and his game feels rushed, and he doesn't control the ball very well. But on uh, for those other two majors, if he can contend, and you're number eight in the world, uh, you can rise. You're a great candidate to rise if you can contend uh, for to win, in my opinion, two of the four majors in the year. So Dominic Team rises. Number nine, Kei Nishikori. Hard to read, but until further notice, he's capped by his lack of, of weaponry in his serve, his first serve return, and his inconsistent health. But I won't say he drops. I'll say he stays. Number 10, John Isner. 2018 will probably go down as the best year of his career. I would not want to play 2018 John Isner. I keep saying that. Uh, but for Isner, just a matter of age, the decline is coming. The injuries are probably uh, or, or, or are likely on their way at some point in time. He's a big body. Uh, he's been through a lot. He takes great care of his body. He works very hard. But you got to think event- eventually his movement will, will deteriorate uh, more and more. And uh, even even serving is is a is a very you know I mean it, it's it's physical thing. So Isner will will probably not he'll probably his decline to me it's gonna be very slow because he'll always have that serve that kind of buoys him. But I still see him falling in 2019. Just a general point before we leave the top ten before I leave John Isner this is very important. A very important point. If you're in the top 10 right now and you're not getting better, then you're going to fall in the rankings. If you look at the age inside the top 10, you have, I believe it's seven guys over 30. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Well, you know, yes, seven guys, 30 years of age or older. As soon as you leave the top 10, 22. 22, Fanini is an older guy. 23, 20, 22, 26. So you have a group of young guys just getting better, just outside the top 10. So even if John Isner is just as good as he was last year, he's going to fall. Just if Marin, if Marin Cilic is, just, is equally as good as he was last year, he's going to fall. 
So keep that in mind. Because because right now, there's almost like a bubble and it's going to burst. And it's the age bubble in the top 10. It's going to burst. There's too many young guns right outside that top 10. Number 11, Karen Hatchinoff. He showed how good he can be last year. Now he just needs to show us some consistency. Physically, mentally, he seems ready. Uh, his game needs a little bit more polishing. Um, but there's no reason to believe that, that he doesn't continue to improve and that Karen Hatchinoff doesn't rise and break into the top 10 in 2019. Number 12 is Borna Chorich. I think that he's the next-gen guy, and I'll get into this later. I think he's ready to maximize his potential. I think his breakout year is next year. So needless to say, Borna Chorich is a rise for me. Fabio Fanini. I think he's going to age gracefully. His game, similar to Roger Federer, appears to be very easy on the body. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's time for for Fanini to to begin his decline as well. I don't. I think it'll be a slow decline. Uh, but but that will that's probably coming as well. So Fanini, that's a tough one. But thirteen is pretty high for him. I mean, that's like a career high. Uh, to me, it seems like he's kind of done. They're not similar players at all, at all. But uh, a guy like, and I think John Anderson is possibly an example of this as well, maybe even Kevin Anderson, but I think when you're 31, 32, you start to kind of feel the finish line, and sometimes you put in the, the hardest, smartest work that you've ever put in in your career. But eventually you hit a point where you, your workload, it, it has to drop where you're not recovering as fast anymore, where you're taking more rest as a result of that, where you don't want to practice as many hours, where you don't want to practice twice a day instead of once a day. And and that time comes for all these guys. And and that is a large part of why I'm going to lean towards drop with a 32-year-old. Number 14, Kyle Edmund. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, qualify my comment. I'm going to lean lean towards drop when a 32-year-old achieves his career high at 32. To me, that means Fabio Fanini kind of went all in last year. And and players do that a lot. I know David Ferrer did that. Um, and he said last year, he said after that year, I think the year was 2014, uh, Ferrer said, I can't replicate what I did in 2014. My body can't take it. I just worked the hardest I've ever worked in my career. And I can't do it again. So I'm, I'm a little bit speculating with Fanini here, but I'm just saying that this is something that does occur sometimes. Number 14, Kyle Edmund. This is a guy whose age suggests that he should rise, but I'm going to say Kyle Edmund drops. He's got a ton of points to defend at the Australian Open. He made the semifinals last year, and I'm just not sure he's ready to do that. I don't know if Edmund is good as people think he is, and I'll leave it at that. I'll see if he proves me wrong. Number 15, Stefanos Tsitsipas. He'll ride his his serve and his forehand to steady improvements this season. I have no doubt about that. He's getting better at a scary rate. His rate of improvement is insane. And to me, a top 10 berth is pretty likely for Tsitsipas this year. So I say he rises. At number 16, you have Daniil Medvedev. Incredibly unique game. Gives a lot of guys a lot of problems. He can certainly climb a bit. Uh, he'll only get better. He'll only get more mature. He'll only learn how to use his unique assets better and better. He's going to be a, a very smart player um, and, and very tough to deal with. And um, big threat on grass. Mark my words. Uh, Medvedev can go far at Wimbledon. 
Number 17, Diego Schwartzman. That's a rise if I didn't say it. I know you can kind of tell by how I talk about these guys, but um, Schwartzman's a guy. I can't see him getting much better. I can't see him getting much worse. I think he stays. Number 18, Milos Raonic. I think at this point it's clear Raonic will never have it up here to really compete with the big guys. He'll just never have it. But he's a clear candidate to rise in the rankings if he stays healthy. He's proven that he's better than 18 in the world uh, when, when he's healthy. So, so Raonic is a rise, but don't expect him to, to, to really break out this year or, or have any sort of major resurgence this year. At number 19, Grigor Dimitrov. We've seen him look like a lot of different kinds of players. We've seen him look great. We've seen him look terrible. I think he starts to even out. He'll start to level out. And I think he's a fringe top 15 guy uh, for twenty um, for 2019. So I say rise, but really really kind of a stay. What's the difference between 19 and let's say 15? It's, it's really not that much when you think about it. And at number 20, one of the easiest decisions on this list, Marco Cecchinato. The French was probably a fluke. He'll probably lose a lot of those points. Now, he's a good clay court player, uh, but he's not such a good clay court player that he might not lose in the first, second, third round of the French Open, um, which would really bump him down a lot. Uh, when, when, you, when you make the semis of a slam, I mean, that's a lot of points. So most of his points are from that. So Cecchinato is a clear candidate to drop. Before we wrap it up here and um, I show you guys my top 10, three guys I want to shout out as guys who are likely risers outside the top 10, David Gafan, who had a lot of bad luck in 2018, Denis Shapovalov, um, who, who's so dangerous and just needs to uh, mature into his game a bit, um, and Alex Dimonor, um, who started to, uh, who's, who's steadily getting better and better and has an asset in in his speed, his legs, his quickness that you just can't teach, and it's going to take him a far, far way. So all all three of those guys should have goals to to make it into the top twenty. In the case of David Gafan, back into the top twenty. All right, time for the top ten. On YouTube, you're looking at it. On audio, I'll read it out. Number one, Novak Djokovic, he stays. Number two. Sasha Zverev, number three, Rafa Nadal, number four, Dominic Team. at number five, Roger Federer, six, Borna Chorich, so as you'll see, I think Chorich, um, of all the next-gen guys, rises the most in the, I mean, excluding Sasha, um, but I think Chorich, of all the guys outside the top 10 trying to break in, I actually think Chorich has the biggest year, I'll talk about why shortly, at number seven, Juan Martin Del Potro, number eight, Stefanos Tsitsipas, number 9, Karen Hatchinov, and number 10, Marin Cilic. I'll take a moment to sink in. Could be something fun to, to use in the comment sections if you want to comment um, how you see your top 10 playing out. But it, it does take, I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of trying to win the lottery. It's the equivalent of getting struck by lightning if I got this right. Uh, so it, it really does just take a lot of imagination and, uh, you know, just... I kind of just closed my eyes and went for it. Didn't put much thought into it because it's not going to do you any good no matter how much thought you put into it. Uh, you really can't predict these things, especially especially before the season even starts. And I've, I've watched a bit of tennis in the last two, three days, Perth, Hopman Cup, but still, the season's barely started. Okay, I took to Twitter. I took to YouTube. 
and you guys told me what you want to hear about. So we'll start with Lance on Twitter. He said, looking forward to your analysis. Um, probably number one, will we continue to see the big three dominate the slams? Well, if Djokovic can dominate the slams, which I think is a strong possibility, then the big three can dominate the slams, especially because Nadal is probably still the favorite at Roland Garros. And then at at least the at, at Wimbledon and the Australian Open, Roger Federer is probably the third favorite. So... I would say it's quite likely. Now, when you say dominate, if you say, let's say dominate is three out of the four slams, I think highly likely, highly likely that still, even with the landscape shifting, the big three takes three out of the four slams this season. Number two, has the World Tour final shifted the tide entirely? If if uh, Andy and Stan will ever come back to the top. The World Tour final, I think that's kind of a reference to Sasha Zverev. And... Um, I don't know because I don't want to go. I don't want to put too much weight into four days, maybe even three days. I mean, Sasha played unbelievable. I mean, he served like I've never seen him serve before for three, four days. So, so how much can you possibly put into that? I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant on that. So, so I don't think the World Tour Finals has shifted really anything, um, except Sasha has shown to himself and the world that within him, within his frame exists a consistent 140 mile per hour first serve which is scary as hell andy and stan will they ever come back to the top probably not probably not i mean we we've been spoiled with roger federer coming back from from his knee injury um nadal has been so good at weathering the storm with his knees uh, with with his hips, now we'll see if he can weather the storm with his ankle, which he had surgery on. Um, that's not the norm; that's the exception. Uh, and then you know, Djokovic overcame his elbow injury, but to me, what Stan and Andy um, endured with with Stan's knees and Murray's hips, I think, and and medically, Djokovic has been pretty buttoned up about exactly what was wrong with his elbow, exactly what this medical intervention was. It seems to me that that Murray and Stan's situations are much worse. So, so to me, their goals should be to continue to sustain themselves um, as very you know lucrative top ten players to, to to stay on the tour. I mean, you have to put this in perspective here. So many players around the world are, are just trying to play professional tennis at the highest level. I think Stan and Andy can, should, should look to continue to do that. But there are too many guys who, I mean, I just don't think their movement can come back to where it was. And you can't expect, especially in the case of Andy Murray, you can't expect them to win slams if their movement isn't going to come back all the way. I mean, it's got to be 100%. If it's not 100%, it's just not going to happen for them. Now, they can be top 20 players, top 10 players, but to make that final step, to make that final leap, it has to be 100%. So I lean no on that. Number three, um, as a Rafa fan, your thoughts about uh, his coming year and the new serve motion. The one thing that Nadal could have done better, even when he was healthy last year, was his first serve could have been a lot bigger. And I think what he was missing there was there was too much slice. He, he wasn't able to flatten it out. And from the looks of it, very early on, and I, I, I'm not going to speak in-depth on it yet. Um, I will soon when I look at it a little bit more carefully. I study it, and I, I see it more. 
it looks like Rafa has put his ball toss a little bit further out in front, and he's getting his uh, he's jumping a little bit more out into the court, which comes from putting your ball toss more out in front. Um, and then it's going to be a lot easier to flatten out your serve if you put your ball toss more out into the court. It's going to be so much easier. Whatever slice is on the ball, that takes away from your MPH. So Rafa has it in him. He doesn't need to swing harder. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, Rafa is not um, Rafa's not serving big because he doesn't want to hurt his shoulder. I, I don't buy that. I think it's baloney. Most players will swing harder on a second serve, on a kick serve that goes 150. Uh, that's, that's generous, sorry. A kick serve that goes 107 miles per hour. Most players will actually swing harder on their kick serve than on their 130 mile per hour flat serve. Uh, you know, uh, your flat serve, you loosen up your grip. You don't have to swing that hard. It's just a matter of timing and flattening out the, the ball, having all the momentum go that way instead of that way. When, when you're brushing on the ball, it's just not going to go as fast as when you're just hitting the ball straight on like a flat serve, uh, like you have to in a flat serve. So if Rafa has developed his flat serve, um, again, uh, he's had it at certain points in his career, that would be huge. So um, Lance, you gave me a lot of good material. Thank you for that, and cheers to you as well. Hey, Gil. Uh, looking forward to the next season. Just want to discuss whether or not uh, we will be seeing a Grand Slam champion from the uh, new generation of tennis in the next season. Sasha or team, maybe, or will it still be dominated by the big three? Again, I, I kind of, I feel like team has a good chance if kind of things, if the cards fall in, in, in his way um, when it comes to the French and the U.S. Open. And then I think Sasha is going to get close and not quite do it. Um, I think Sasha, I think he would see, the problem is his best surface is, is clay. And I mean, maybe he's the fourth favorite there. Maybe, well, which, which isn't high enough. You know, to me, I mean, the French will almost definitely go to Nadal, Djokovic, or team. So I just don't see... Maybe the U.S. Open. Sasha hasn't been any good at the U.S. Open. I, I don't know. I don't know with him. Um, by the way, uh, I've noticed some people have been saying, like, team is next gen. Is team next gen? I don't know. Um, let's see. Would I bet on it? Would I bet on it? I I don't know. <laughs> That's so tough. It's so tough. Very, very hard. 50-50? Um, 50-50. Yeah. Next gen, though, there's not one guy who I think Borna Chorich. Let me let me say Borna Chorich. Chorich can can compete really on any surface. He's very even across all four surfaces. I think he'll make a second weekend this year. I think he'll make a slam semifinal this year. So we'll see. We'll see. Sorry, that's not a great answer by me. But what can you do? Hey, Gil, please can you give us some insight about Roger preparations and if based on it, he has some chance to be competitive again. In my opinion, he has all the tennistic tools, I have no doubt, though I really have some serious concerns about his mental condition and his motivation to train hard and analyze opponents' tactics and be again committed in tennis. If you have some information, okay, that's, uh, as a Roger fan, I try to be optimistic, but I am not convinced nor by his behavior nor by his mindset or level of competition in 2018. 
okay, so you shouldn't be optimistic because of what happened in, in 2018. That's perfectly understandable. Um, Federer certainly needs a revelation. I don't have any insights into into his training this summer, um, unfortunately. I'm not sure. But hopefully, hopefully he did something. Mentally, you know, it's a it's a pretty tough it's pretty tough to read Fetter. It's really tough to say. This Australian Open is going to be really important. It's going to show us where he's at. Uh, I think he's going to have a good tournament. I think he needed the off season. I think he'll come out refreshed. I think he'll come out hitting his forehand a lot better. I think he'll come out serving a lot better. Those the, those are the two keys. He just he just didn't have those shots. He lost those shots. Who knows how much the hand was bothering him? Uh, we'll see how his movement looks. To me, Federer is a guy who who's just going to hover a lot, and he's going to have a few more opportunities in his career, and he needs to hope that, that he can cap- capitalize on those opportunities. His goal should be right now to win one more major, and that's for the rest of his career. I think, he'll, I think he's got maybe two, three years. I think if he falls out of, let's say, the top five, I, my sense is that he'll wait for that to happen. Then he'll say in the beginning of the season, this is my last year. That way he can go on tour and, and give a fans um, the chance to say goodbye to him at, at each, and every, each and every stop, each and every tournament. That's my gut. Which of the next-gen players will be the most successful at the Australian Open? Um, so I think that all of them, in terms of their games, are fairly well-suited for the surface. Uh, to me, I lean towards Borna Chorich um, just because let – me, let, me lay, let me lay it out with Chorich because you've heard me say a few times how high I am on, on this 2019, on, on his prospects during 2019 for Borna Chorich. To me, Chorich is the most – ready guy to maximize his potential next year. I think that he's been trending towards a certain level of physical and mental maturity that the other next-gen players don't have yet. Now, I have been on the record. I have said that Chorich's potential, his ceiling, is not as high as some of the next other next-geners. I think Hachinov, Tsitsipas, Zverev, I think, they all, I think they all have a chance to be better than Chorich. However, I think Chorich is ready to play as I think he's ready to enter the prime of his career now. And I don't think those other guys are quite ready yet. And as a result, I think we're going to see Chorich start to to, to rise in the rankings pretty quickly, uh, make some second weeks of slams. Uh, he's he's got great physicality if if he just shores up his forehand and and that that's partially physical because it's a long swing and his footwork can get awkward on that side. He's got a great backhand. His serve has looked really good at times. His movement's really good. He can attack. He can defend. He's got it all. He's got great mental. Uh, He can play best. I think he's ready for best of five sets physically. All of these things are going for Borna Chorich. So my gut is that 2019 is his breakout year. And I can't really say the same about the other guys. And it seems like he's had a really great offseason. So Chorich. Chorich is my guy. Who can challenge Novak in the Australian Open? That's hard to say. Um, On a court this fast, I mean, first of all, Federer, Nadal, 
Um, it's tough because I don't think Del Potro will be ready to compete. I don't think Nadal, and this is not an Australian Open preview. This is a season preview. So, you know, I, I, I want to tread lightly on this. But Nadal, can he get back to 100%? Because he, he'll only go into the Australian Open two weeks of practice, two weeks of tournaments. Not ideal. Not terrible, but not ideal. Who's the number one guy after Djokovic? It's got to be the defending champion, Federer. You got to trust him. With fresh legs and an offseason, you just don't know. I mean, this is Federer's best tournament right now. This much is clear. Back-to-back titles. So, I mean, it's got to be Federer. At the same time, we've seen Djokovic have sort of a, a bit of a mental edge over Federer. But maybe that Paris match comes into play, if those two do play. Maybe Federer has a little bit more confidence because of how close he got in Paris. Hey, Gil, my question. Nadal um, will be able to be competitive for Australian Open, come back of injury and surgery, only one month to practice. Is it sufficient or not? Uh, basically, he's asking, um, can Nadal come back considering his injuries? Nadal's confidence comes from his preparation and his hard work. So, to me, it's a little bit sketchy. It's a little bit sketchy. For example, when, when Rafa came back for the clay court season, he took his time. He, he wasn't in any rush, really, because there's a, there's a pretty substantial gap between Miami and Davis Cup, I believe. I want to say, you know, I might be wrong about that. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to be wrong. But, but Rafa basically, he probably could have played Indian Wells. He probably could have played Miami. He's like, you know what? The clay court season's around the corner. Let me get myself... 100% for that. I get the sense that with this, you know, this time around, maybe he's kind of coming into these these early tournaments not 100% because he doesn't want the Australian Open to be his first tournament back, which is understandable. And then we know how much trouble the, the knee problems gave him. He, he skipped the fall season. He had ankle surgery in the offseason. The answer is... If you're a Rafa fan, you should be a little bit concerned that Nadal won't be 100% for the Australian Open. At the same time, Nadal's so good at coming back from injury, four weeks is kind of a lot for him. Gil, have you ever played on a grass court before? No, I haven't. I really want to. Uh, that, that would be a, a really fun experience. Um, and I, I know the, the movement is different. It's tough because it's a little bit slippery. You can't quite slide, but at the same time, you can't quite plant your feet like you do on a hard court. And that would be fun for me to feel, um, but but no. I, I think there's one grass court in my area. It's about an hour away. I've, I've, never, I've never went there. Here's a really long one. Um, I'm going to try to shorten this a little bit. Um, why the mere slam count is not an objective measure to finding a GOAT. Uh, basically, uh, there was better top opposition in the late aughts and 2010s than the early aughts. Um, there was almost amateur opposition for the early 70s. There was a supremely strong era for the whole 80s. And there was intermediately difficult era in the 90s. This is relative to the top of the game and not the whole game. The opposition matters the most as far as slams are concerned. So I think um, what Caleb's trying to say is... We shouldn't just say, this guy has this many slams, this guy has this many slams. We should take into account, well, when did they play? Who were their rivals? And I agree with that. You should look at, you should look at these guys and, say, and think, well, okay, they have this many slams, but who are their rivals? And to me, 
this is an argument for why it's quite possible that the top three players in tennis history all ushered in the same era, more or less. The era between, well, we'll say, you know, I mean, Federer started before this, but we'll say 2005 to, I don't know, now? Perhaps... Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, I mean, because they've all basically passed everyone, I mean, Djokovic is going to pass Sampras, they've all passed everyone in each other's company. Incredible. Not a lot left. Hey, Gil, uh, wondering if you can do a power ranking of the favorites for the Australian Open. What would you like to see from the top eight in 2019? Um, and Federer potentially playing clay this year. I'm not going to do an Australian Open power ranking um, or anything like that. That'll be another video before the Australian Open. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. I will say, I will speak on Federer potentially playing uh, clay, and I haven't even given this any thought until literally right now on air um, in terms of how I'm going to answer this question. But I think he should try it. I think he should. he should see what happens. Yeah, I think he should try it, honestly. Just because I don't know how much there is to lose at this point. I mean, he's defending. He lost in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. He's not even defending that many. I mean, that's that's a lot of points comparatively to the rest of the tour. But I just think that for Federer to, to skip clay to focus on Wimbledon, well, you know, you better make sure that you're going deep in Wimbledon if you're going to employ that strategy. You better make sure that you're going to be healthy and fresh U.S. Open time if you're going to employ that strategy. If not, is it worth it? And I think Federer needs to go back back to uh, doing some experimentation. So maybe this will be good for him. I don't know. We'll see. I try, Whatever Federer does with his schedule, I think it'll be... Um, a, a smart decision because I think he's smart about that. Last question. Uh, what can we expect from Roger Federer in the upcoming season? I've kind of already answered this. In fact, I think I have already answered this. He needs to reinvent himself. He need he needs to, he needed to have a, a revel, uh, revelation of an off season. We need to see some, we need to see some things get better. And that's just unlikely at his age. Normally things don't get better. They either stay the same or they get worse. Uh, but we'll see. It'll be more exciting for the game uh, the better the better Federer is for as as long um, as he can possibly be, and that's true for Nadal and Djokovic as well. And um, and that does it for your 2019 season preview here on Monday Match Analysis. And before I go, I want to ask you about I, I want to ask you one thing, um, and that is to share this. I don't really ask I don't you know I don't I don't ask for for support in in a monetary way on this channel um, so I will take this time to say this is the the first episode of this new season this is the time if, if you enjoy what I put out if you enjoy this show share it on social media tell your friends say look I, I enjoy this I think you might too uh, that is the best way for you to support me, and I, I greatly appreciate that. You can follow me on Twitter, at Gil Gross. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, for the rest of 2019, on a pretty consistent basis, as consistent as I can, tennis is back. Couldn't be better. I'll see you next time.